This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into this week's edition of UAP Weekly. I am Stephen Diener here back with you on the Unidentified Alien Podcast Weekly Edition. And it is, uh, what a week it has been. I mean, just to put it lightly, unbelievable type of week here that has gone on in the uh, UAP community. And I am going to do my best to recap it all for you because, quite frankly, this might be the most packed week of developments I've ever seen. Honestly, it has been an absolute whirlwind this week with all of the events happening at once, seemingly. And because of everything that's happened this week, I'm, I decided, really, I was kind of forced into the reality that I had to turn this into a two-part series. Because this turned into one of the hardest times I've had in putting together an episode. Because there was just so much information and, and the events that took place that I didn't want to leave anything pertinent out of this show, recapping everything that's happened this week within the UAP world, if you will. And that is why, for the first time ever in this short history of UAP Weekly, I've decided, again, maybe even forced into the reality of making this into a two-part episode. So part one being right now, listening to part one, uh, as we speak, and then part two will come out tomorrow. And in part two, just so you know what to expect there, I'm going to cover in depth uh, my experience in Washington, D.C. at Dr. Stephen Greer's uh, Disclosure Project, uh, the press conference that took place this past Monday on uh, June 12th. So that was um, that was quite the event. I mean, the speakers, the whistlebl- whistleblowers that they had there, Honestly blew my mind, and that's saying something because, you know, if you've listened to the show, covered a lot of ground here um, on UAP, and to be able to leave me kind of dumbfounded and just sitting in my chair shaking my head saying, wow, which I was out loud, it was audible, the, the amount of times that I was shocked during that press conference, um, it's something. So if you didn't hear or see a lot of the things that came out of that press conference, we're going to cover that in depth along with my uh, take on it and just everything that happened kind of leading up to it for me being there. It was it was pretty incredible, honestly. It was an incredible experience. So I'll get right into it for today, um, part one, for this part one episode, because we are going to cover right now what has had everybody talking since Sunday night, and that is the David Grush whistleblower interview that took place on uh, News Nation Sunday night with uh, Ross Coldhart, who has been, I guess you can say, or at least in my opinion, one of the foremost investigative reporters, maybe with George Knapp, um, 
when it comes to the UAP UFO subject. He's been great over the years, over the decades, really. It was a week like no other. Um, so we're going to kind of jump into it here right now when it comes to this David Grush whistleblower interview. And we're gonna, what I'm going to do is go through it bit by bit, kind of covering the really the main points. I wanted to make sure you got everything out of it here. There was a lot of a lot of meat on the bone when it came to this interview. And so I'm going to try to cover it piece by piece here with you and go over those main portions. And then from there, we'll be able to compare and contrast to what Dr. Stephen Greer had to say and his whistleblowers had to say, more importantly, at the Disclosure Project press conference this past Monday on June 12th. And once we are able to put that all together after part two comes out tomorrow, you'll be able to kind of, you'll be where I'm at right now, which is kind of scratching your head, wondering which way do I go with all this? So just going to give it to you here as we go along. Um, to start off, you know, step one, I guess you could say, with uh, David Grush, he is, just to give you a little background on him, I'm going to let him explain as well because he can explain it better than I can, but just a quick summary, he's he was a go-to intelligence guy when it came to the UAP intelligence community within the uh, U.S. government. He joined the UAP task force in 2019, um, and here's what he has to say about himself, how he kind of introduces himself, goes over his own credentials, because it is it's a pretty impressive list. So we'll, we'll start off here. I was an intel officer for the U.S. for 14 years. My last position, which I left in April of 2023, um, I co-led the UAP portfolio for the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency and some of the highest officials within the Department of Defense and Intelligence community used to call on me to advise them on some of the hardest uh, target sets that the country had. So again, real deal type of guy. He was in it like he, he was in the stuff and, you know, he was a go to guy. He was a decision maker. So that's why I thought that was a good place to start to kind of set the table to, um, if you were doubting his credibility, which you still may by the end of this, and that's totally fine. It's always up to you. But I feel like when you hear where he's coming from and where he was, that might be kind of a good starting point uh, as you kind of take in everything that, that he had to say. He also kind of came out with a bang here um, when he talked about what he has been told about recovered you know, UFO craft and he says recovered alien bodies. Uh, the UAP task force was refused access to um, a broad crash retrieval program. Uh, these are retrieving non-human origin uh, technical vehicles, you know, call it spacecraft if you will, non-human, exotic origin vehicles that have either landed or crashed. We have spacecraft from another species. We do, yeah. All right, well, there you go. We do, yeah. And you heard the question there from uh, Ross Coldhart, and you'll hear him uh, kind of interject here and there in the different clips that we play because I felt it was important to keep some of the questioning in there, give context to some of the answers that uh, Grush was giving. But, you know, that was the part that a lot of people were attaching themselves to right there. The, that Those last few seconds at the end where he's talking about we do have these crashed, you know, uh, alien spacecraft and bodies that are being stowed away. So we're going to get into all that because we got those key points out of the way. Um, so we'll be able to move on to the other main ones here as these are pretty huge claims, by the way. Um, in fact, as we get further into this one here and into part two, 
it's only going to get more intense. So I'm just going to warn you now, hold on, because uh, a lot of the things you're going to hear right now in part two of UAP Weekly coming out tomorrow, um, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty heavy stuff. I'm not going to lie. So one of the questions that is presented a lot when it comes to UAP technology and the existence of aliens as a whole, one of the questions that is posed a lot by people, believers and non-believers alike, skeptics, non-skeptics, whatever you want to say, the question that's posed a lot is, how are they getting here, right? I mean, how is that even possible? How are they traveling across space and everything? That That's asked by a lot of people. So I want you to pay attention to this answer because this is, uh, it's kind of heady what David Gresh gets into here. And it's pretty interesting because it's an unusual take. It's a take that you don't hear a lot when it comes to well, maybe they aren't traveling across deep space. Maybe it's something else entirely. It is a well-established uh, fact, at least mathematically and based on empirical observation and analysis, that there most likely are physical additional spatial dimensions. And you could imagine uh, in 4 and 5D space where what we experience as linear time ends up being a physical dimension for, in higher dimensional space where if you were living there, you could translate across what we perceive as a linear flow. So there is a uh, possibility that, and it, this is a theory here, I'm not saying this is 100% the case, but uh, it could be that this is not necessarily extraterrestrial and it's actually coming from a higher dimensional physical space that might be co-located, um, you know, right here. Okay, I told you it was going to get heady. So if you if you need to rewind and listen to it again, I don't blame you. I had to listen to it about three or four different times myself until it kind of set in. But yeah, you heard it. I mean, in short, in layman's terms, he's talking about different dimensions. He's talking about not necessarily deep space travel, which is also a theory, but it's also important to note he does say this is not something that he's been briefed on, that it's a theory. So that's just, but look, you're talking about a guy, again, that's in the know, that has been you know, briefed on a lot of different information, that a lot of stuff, by the way, that he could not give in this interview with Ross Coldhart, he, he, there's a lot of stuff that he could not answer that they left out of this interview, but they made it known um, at one point during the interview that there was a good amount of questions that he just flat out could not answer because of still the classified nature and the you know non-disclosure agreements and things like that that uh, he's he's still a part of even you know despite his whistleblower testimony. I guess that's the main thing: his whistleblower testimony. He, was, he gave everything there, and I'll get into that more later, but just know a lot of the stuff that he gave in his confidential whistleblower testimony that is protected by that new whistleblower protection law, he could not give some of that information during this interview. So when he says that it's a theory about other you know interdimensional travel, I guess, it's a different one, but who am I to doubt him? Maybe he's onto something there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. He also mentioned something that I found really um, significant, and that was the what he called the sophisticated disinformation campaign. I'm going to let him explain a little bit more about it. Oh, there's a sophisticated uh, disinformation campaign targeting the U.S. populace, which is extremely unethical and immoral. And that was one thing that he says um, kind of led him to come out as a whistleblower because he feels like there's a lot that's being hidden from the American people when it comes to, you know, maybe the deep inner workings of the government or military, whatever it may be, that these things are being kept hidden and they're not being given out to the general public. And he feels like, you know what, that's not right. And some people are made to feel crazy for believing those things to be true. Hence the disinformation campaign that's been going on for a long time. Because let's let's face it, there's still a giant stigma. It's a lot less than it used to be. But there's that stigma is still there when it comes to the alien discussion as a general discussion in, you know, in, in w- w- within the populace. Yeah, it's more in the news now and more mainstream. But we all know that stigma is still there. I experience it myself. So when it comes to that disinformation campaign, that's part of it. That, I mean, honestly, that's that's part of the disinformation campaign was to make people feel like they were crazy if they say these things. So that's what he's referring to there. This was intriguing. He, now, he went over a lot of different things in this interview. He went, he kind of ran the gamut because Ross Colhart did ask a lot of different questions. And one of the questions he asked him, he asked him about this. It's a not so famous, it's kind of well known, but it, it, it's a crash that supposedly happened. And David Grush says it did happen. In Italy in 1933. So think of Roswell. That's 14 years later. Roswell was, of course, New Mexico in 1947, July of 1947. This is actually the crash that David Grush points to as the first major cover-up of a downed UFO craft that took place in September of 1933 over uh, the skies of Italy in uh, Magenta, Italy, I think, to be specific. And their recovery of it, and the cover-up. The Vatican is involved here as well. Listen to what he talks about. It's long been known that the regime of dictator Benito Mussolini documented numerous UAP during this time. It's true. It's real. Yeah, that actually happened. Italian government moved it to a secure uh, air base in Italy for the, the rest of kind of the fascist regime until 1944, 1945. And, you know, the uh, Pope Pius XII back-channeled that. So the Vatican um, was involved. Yeah, and told the Americans what the Italians had, and, and we ended up scooping it. So let me be very clear about this. You're saying that the Catholic Church, the Vatican, mm-hmm. they know about the existence of non-human intelligence on this planet. Certainly. That was big for me, and I think big for a lot of people, because I've specifically spoken about 
you know, what does the Vatican know? And I'm interested in that. I've said before on the show, I'm not shy about saying that I'm a practicing Catholic. I mean, everybody has different beliefs and that's, that's, that's my, my belief system. So when I talk about, you know, Vatican cover-ups of alien technology or alien life, that is something that um, kind of hits home, right? I mean, because is the Pope getting briefed, whoever the Pope might be at this point? You know, was Pope John Paul briefed on aliens? Is, was Pope Benedict, is Pope Francis briefed on, on alien technology? It makes you wonder. But if you hear that story from David Grush talking about the, you know, the, the, the craft that Mussolini recovered, or his government anyway, back in 1933, and that we scooped up, you know, at the end of World War II, after, you know, liberating Italy and, and Germany and everything like that, going in there in any World War II, is it possible that there really is this type of cover-up if the Vatican actually got in touch with the U.S. Army and said, hey, you might want to come and pick this up on, you know, on, on your way out? It's, um, it's, it's, it's quite the claim, but he says it's true. So, again, you make of it what you will. Anytime you hear Vatican cover up and aliens in the same sentence, I think it's that's a pretty big uh, attention getter. Boy, it makes you wonder though what they what they really do have there in all those files. I know I've talked about that before, but it's fascinating to me. He does now. David Grush does have a similarity here with Dr. Stephen Greer, and I'm going to get into a lot of the things that Dr. Greer said during the disclosure project press conference. I'm going to get into a lot of that in part two of this special edition of UAP Weekly because there was so much incredible things that happened this past week, really an unprecedented week in the UAP community, UFO world. Um, but he does have a similarity. They differ on a lot. I'm just going to say that. But in, he has a similarity here in saying that the technology of this, you know, the, the downed UAPs, the recovered craft that are being reverse engineered, that this technology is being held back and it could help the world. And, you know, is that the power of these companies, these entities, whatever you want to call them, you know, private corporations, whatever you want to say, that their power in all this, their, their power-hungry, you know, plays, that, that it plays a huge part in the secrecy of all this and why it's been so secret, why it's been covered up over the decades because of all the power that comes with having this technology. And it's being held back from the world, and it can make the world a better place. It can help a lot of people. Again, more on that in part two coming up. Grush also says that some of the UFO, and this is really interesting, and you'll hear more as we go on why that's the case. He says that some are landed, okay, when it comes to the recovered craft. Some are landed here, and some are crashed. Here's what he had to say about the crashed UFOs. Some are landed, some are crashed. And I think that's an interesting discussion that's come up, you know, as advanced as, you know, we are, you know, as humans, right? You know, planes crash, cars crash. Just because you're some uh, advanced sentience that has advanced technology doesn't mean um, some small percentage of your, I'll use the Air Force term like sorties, um, you know, meet an unfortunate operational conclusion, as, as we might want to say. I do. So a couple of things to pick up on there for me personally, when it comes to his um, analogy, I never thought about that before, because, again, one of the big arguments from skeptics becomes, well, if this race of beings, you know, these aliens, they're coming across, they're so smart, they have all this technology that can carry them across deep space. They can travel at the speed of light. How are they so stupid to crash on Earth? 
And that's a fair question, right? That's a question that's asked a lot. So for him to use that analogy of, you know, human beings, we're pretty advanced, but we still crash planes and cars and trains and all these different things. And that doesn't make us, you know, a stupid race of beings. It just means that mistakes are made. So I guess his his insinuation is that should we really, you know, say it's it's against or out of the realm of possibility that an alien race, a, a, you know, highly advanced alien race is without the ability to make mistakes. That's the insinuation that he's making there. And I guess that's that's a fair argument as well. But then he's also talking about, you know, or when they're crashed, he went, he almost went and said as far as maybe we're taking them down. And that's the other part that caught my ear because as I put everything together from the Disclosure Project from Dr. Greer and David Grush's interview as he detailed all of his whistleblower claims... That's something that really caught my ear because there was a lot of that talk at the disclosure uh, press conference about how we may actually be taking these things down with our own advanced weapons that we got reverse engineering alien technology. But I'm going to save a lot of that for part two because I got to go in order here. But just keep that in mind. It's um, again, the stuff gets heavier and heavier as we go along. He did actually. And this this was interesting. So David Greer did allege that Sean Kirkpatrick, one of our favorite subjects here on UAP Weekly, that he is indeed part of the cover-up. Now, I found that personally very intriguing because when I spoke to Anthony Williams, my uh, military contact that you heard in, you know, last week on UAP Weekly, when I spoke to him, he's talked to me. I don't think it was in the interview, but he's talked to me about uh, privately when it comes to Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick being part of the cover-up. He has told me specifically in our conversations that Dr. Kirkpatrick is basically just um, saving face to the public for the sake of trying to show, yes, we here at the government and the UAP task force and we here at Arrow are really trying to figure these things out, but we're just not sure what they are yet. And again, I have been told personally and I'll call him Anthony Williams now since you heard from him and we'll use his pseudonym. I heard from personally Anthony Williams, my military contact, that that is not the case, that Dr. Kirkpatrick is hiding things, that he is part of the cover-up. And David Grush confirmed that for me because he also said the same thing. He says that he has tried reaching out to Dr. Kirkpatrick specifically to talk to him about his claims, about what he's been briefed on some of the things again that he couldn't even mention in, in this interview with with uh, Ross Coulthard and he wanted to sit down with Dr. Kirkpatrick and detail all of the things that he has been told but Dr. Kirkpatrick has not taken him up on that offer as of yet according to Grush and Grush says that he's still waiting for Kirkpatrick's call back so you ask yourself the question why would Dr. Kirkpatrick, the head of the Aero Division, you know, the, the big kahuna on the UAP task force, if you are being approached by a major level whistleblower, the biggest we've ever had publicly in the UAP discussion by far, well, maybe up there with Lou Elizondo, but 
And again, when it comes to David Grush, when you have someone of his stature reaching out to you to say, hey, I'm going to tell you everything you need to know. And you say no. And you worse than no, you ghost the guy. You're not even going to call him back. (laughs) I I don't know. You make up your own conclusions there about uh, Sean Kirkpatrick and and his motives. But um, I know if I was in his position and I was trying to figure things out that I supposedly did not know, I would definitely want to talk to a guy like David Grush. That's just my opinion. Now, Grush went on to say, and again, remember this, he says that some aliens are indeed a threat. Now, that's not something we like to hear, of course. That's something that is unsettling. But his view contradicts directly Dr. Stephen Greer's view. You'll hear in part two, Dr. Greer is very much in the um, thought process that these races, all alien races, are not a threat, that they have no ill will toward the human race. But that is not what David Grush is saying. He's saying, actually, in fact, that some people have been killed, but he could not talk about it during the interview. And that's interesting to me as well, because there is a lot of different notes that I have about instances that I haven't gotten to yet on the main episodes of UAP, and I do want to get to in the future. So expect to hear about these things in future episodes of of UAP on its on its own, but about stories of fighter pilots who have been killed, um, you know, in dogfights with UFOs, left with brain injuries, and there's a lot of reports of those things. So, again, we'll be able to piece it all together after both parts come out of UAP Weekly, and you know, you make up your own mind from there. He also did talk about a Cold War for alien technology and a Cold War with China and Russia. He says there is a power struggle going on and that all countries are handling this secrecy the same way that we are in the United States and for the same reasons, meaning power. It's a power struggle. It's, it's a power play. These corporations and you know insiders in the government want to have all the power and they don't want to the st- they don't want the status quo to change. They don't want, you know, big oil and big pharma and all all the all these things, fossil fuels, all this stuff, you know, everyday electricity from your power company. All that stuff would change dramatically, drastically, pretty much go away. <laughs> the way of life that we know would become a lot easier and a lot less expensive if this technology was out, according to David Grush. And he's not the only one who's saying that, by the way. I mean, gosh, Tesla was trying to do this stuff over 100 years ago, but we've talked about that before in previous episodes. So he says that China and Russia are doing the same thing. Again, that's something I've been told as well from Anthony Williams. He's told me that personally, that um, China and Russia do go after these things. They do try to reverse engineer these things. We just don't know how far along they are. That secrecy, you know, is, um, well, it's kept under wraps for a reason, just like we try to keep it under wraps because we don't want them getting the technology that we figured out in reverse engineering processes, and they don't want us getting what they figured out. And back and forth we go over the past, you know, 80 years or so. Now, uh, David Grush also did mention that maybe the alien races are not attacking human beings because, remember, he says that some, some of them are a threat. But his speculation, because the question was posed by Ross Coldhart, he said, well, if these 
you know, the, this alien race or different races are a threat to the human race, why aren't they just attacking us? If we're taking their technology, if we're downing their aircraft or whatever it may be, if we're holding alien bodies in secret locations, why aren't they just attacking us? The speculation is maybe some type of treaties have been made in the past, which made the light bulb go off for me because I automatically think about President Eisenhower at the time back in the in the 50s and the old story about him making that deal with the Greys. He met with the Nordics. He met with the Greys. The story goes, and I went over this way back when, like somewhere within the first five or six episodes of UAP, if you want to go back and listen in detail, if you're not familiar with the story. But he talked about, um, or at least the story goes that Eisenhower met with the Greys in California at a you know a undisclosed location, supposedly at one of the the bases there, met with them and came to this conclusion, came to this treaty that they uh, you know could do experiments on humans if we could get their technology, and there wouldn't be any attacks, any fights, anything like that. And here we are today. So is that why they haven't been attacking, or is it just because they're wholly peaceful? I don't know. <laughs> There's two different sides to the story here. Now he also did mention. David Grush, it is, mentioned that we do have ways of bringing these craft down. He could not specify, but in a huge, huge but here, you're going to hear more about that in part two. And I know it might be, get, it's probably getting annoying at this point. I don't mean to be annoying about it, but I keep saying part two, part two. You're going to hear more in part two. I don't mean to be a jerk about it or to try to keep you hanging or dangle the carrot in front of your face or anything like that. I'm just telling you, a lot of this stuff that David Grush spoke about in his interview this past Sunday on June 11th ended up connecting to a lot of the testimony that was said at the Stephen Greer press conference on June 12th, this past Monday. So that's why I keep saying in part two, because there was absolutely no way that I was going to be able to fit all this information into one episode of UAP Weekly, which is why part two is coming up. Now, he also did mention David Grush, that is, he says that the inspector general says because he again remember he spoke to the people in in the higher up positions it has been said and this isn't even a david grush claim this is a report a confirmed report i should say so this isn't even you know something that that grush is claiming that you know you can decide for yourself on verification no this is an actual report from the the, from the offices there in dc that the inspector general did find his allegations to be urgent and credible after his testimony within the halls of Congress. Again, the inspector general used the words urgent and credible. Now, the original testimony, and this is an important distinction here to make, the original testimony that David Grush gave was to the inspector general last July, okay, July of 22, so they've almost, they've had this stuff hanging there, just sitting there for almost a year now. So you would think if they're calling something urgent and credible, they would move on it a little bit faster. But here we are now, nothing's happened. And I think that's what led David Grush to come out in the public as a whistleblower. And he also did mention here in this, and I think this is also something that led him to come out in the public because he talks about private corporations or even contractors that hold on to this technology for themselves in the interest of profit. This was interesting. Listen to what he had to say here. 
Um, while I, I don't want to name the specific companies and government elements, but to, uh, overall, you know, the government has been the custodian of a lot of this, right? And they'll, they'll hand receipt it out to a clear defense contractor to do some analysis which I find highly unethical. You have a, basically a sole source arrangement and you allow certain um, private corporate elements uh, to look at this, develop a, a potential insight and then sell it back to the government for profit. And I think that's uh, totally unethical. And that is quite the claim. And it is a perfect segue to get into the disclosure project that we will discuss tomorrow on part two of UAP Weekly. Now, before we go, there is something else that Gruss said um, when that it kind of connects to something that Lou Elizondo has said in the past and that they were being, both of them were being stonewalled in their own investigations. <laughs> Imagine this. I mean, when Lou Elizondo was the head of the uh, uh, ATIP division, which the Pentagon didn't even disclose its existence up until a few years ago, Elizondo said that he left and became a whistleblower because he felt like he couldn't do his job since he wasn't being cleared to receive the information he was looking for to, to do his investigations, to, to complete his investigations. And now you have David Grush saying something very similar here. He's, he, he kind of wraps it all up here. I have plenty of current and former senior intelligence officers that came to me, many of which I knew almost my whole career, that confided in me they were a part of a program. They named the program. I've never heard of it. And they they told me, based on their oral testimony, um, and they provided me documents and other, other proof, that there was, in fact, a program that the UAP task force was uh, not read into. Not read into. UAP task force not read into. What is, I mean, just think about that. Think about it. if you're going to your job, whatever you may do in your walk of life, and you get to your job and your boss tells you, yeah, you know, I know I gave you this project to do, but I'm not going to give you everything that you need to get it done. But good luck with it. I mean, good luck with it anyway. Find a way to do it. I'm just not going to give you everything that you need to complete the tasks that I gave you to complete. I mean, how frustrating would that be? So maybe Grush left for the same reasons Elizondo did in that aspect. I mean, I would be incredibly frustrated if I was in that situation. So when you think about it, when you kind of put it into those terms and you put it in with everything that you've heard here today and more quite frankly, that he wasn't allowed to say still, because remember, and this is an important point to make, I'm going to say it again. He testified under oath in a confidential whistleblower hearing. That is worth remembering. David Grush testified under oath in a confidential whistleblower hearing in Congress. He had two of them, actually, one with the Senate as well. Now, they weren't all there. In fact, within the Congress and the Senate, there weren't any actual congressmen or Senate members at this hearing. They sent their staffers there. Maybe for plausible deniability. I don't know. There were attorneys present as well. Um... But he made these claims under oath. So when you think about it, when you kind of put that into perspective, and he did that back in December, by the way, of 2022, you, you, and you start to think about, you know, do I doubt David Grush? Do I doubt his words that I heard here today? Do I believe him? You know, is this guy for real? That's totally up to you to decide, as always. But when you're deciding that, just keep in mind, when you're deciding what you heard on what you heard here today, whether to believe it or not, 
Keep in mind that this is a guy that is not only risking going to jail for lying to Congress under oath, but a guy who is really risking his life and his pension by coming out to speak about these things publicly. All the statements that he made and how just everything that he put into this interview that you heard here today, these weren't things that, you know, we take lightly that we that we talked about today. So again, you make up your mind about David Grush and if you think he's a plant, if you think he's part of a psyop from the government to distract from other things, I don't know. That's up to you to, to decide. Or if he's completely full of it and he just doesn't care about going to jail. Maybe he's a maniac. Maybe he's psychotic. Or maybe he's telling the truth. We do know for sure that he is who he says he is as far as the positions that he held that has been verified. So again, always up to you. But my gosh, the claims are there. And he is uh, definitely one of the guys with the highest clearance and the highest stature to come out and say the things that he has said. It's startling. Speaking of startling, wait until you hear part two of this special edition of UAP Weekly as we get into um, everything, everything that happened regarding the disclosure project at Dr. Stephen Greer's press conference that took place this past Monday on June 12th, and more importantly, what the, his whistleblowers that he brought up had to say, because it is incredible stuff. Again, it left me in my chair saying out loud, oh my gosh, this is, in, this is insane. And not insane like they're nuts, just insane like, holy cow, I can't believe what I'm hearing. So we're going to go over all of that in part two of UAP Weekly, the Unidentified Alien podcast. That will come out tomorrow. And you'll be able to hear as well and put it all together, the similarities and differences from what you heard here today versus from David Grush versus what you're going to hear from these whistleblowers and Dr. Greer. It's fascinating once you get to put it all together. But we'll do that tomorrow on part two of UAP Weekly as we continue the special edition here. I look forward to going over all that with you. Trust me, you will enjoy it. And also, don't forget, you can continue to subscribe, download the show wherever you get your podcasts, and follow the show on Twitter at UAPodcast850. Follow along with everything that goes on there. But until then, until next time on part two of this UAP Weekly, Stephen Diener here saying, I'll talk to you next time.